Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. If you have ever heard B.J. Walker preach, then you know that God gifted him uniquely so that he could connect with his audiences. This sermon was preached back in 1998 at the God's Missionary Camp in Pins Creek, Pennsylvania, and it's titled, Dry Bones. I know you're going to enjoy this classic sermon. saw the beast and the armies of the earth gathered together to make war against him that sat on the white horse. But he shall overcome them, for he is the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. <laughs> Hallelujah. We're on, we're on the victory side, folks. I, let, I read the last chapter in the book. Seem like we've lost a few skirmishes down through the years, but the war's not over. <laughs> Someday the war will be over. And when the last shot's fired and the smoke clears from the battlefield, Jesus Christ and the saints are going to be victorious. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I sure appreciated the Holy Spirit slipping in being with us this morning. A little shower. We're sorry those of you who weren't here, couldn't be here, but uh, I'm glad he came. I said, Lord, we've done about all we can do, and when we've done our best, we come up short. So let's try to turn it over to him and see what he can do. Amen. Well, this is the afternoon service, and I try not to keep it long this evening, but so many things to preach, so many subjects present themselves, so many texts, so many thoughts come to your mind. I want to give you a little something off the beaten track. The book of Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm not going to give you a text, but I want to make a few comments out of this 37 chapter of the book of Ezekiel. He was one of those prophets that had a lot of visions. This is one of those visions that he had. And I realized as I studied this 37th chapter of Ezekiel, the primary interpretation of it, no doubt, is prophetical. It has to do with the end times. It has to do with Israel in the last days. And as you study that chapter, you'll discover one of the things it talks about is a resurrection. The resurrection of the state of Israel. 
It's a moral and a national resurrection. For God said, I will bring you up out of your graves. And keep in mind that this year is Israel's 50th birthday. They had a resurrection about 50 years ago and this year is their 50th birthday since they declared themselves the state of Israel, a sovereign independent nation back in the land of their forefathers 50 years ago this year. And every 50 years is Israel's jubilee. That was the year of jubilee. So I don't really know what's going on over there, but I know this much. Every eye is focused on the Middle East. It's the hot spot of the world. So, so God has brought his people out from the, the graves of the Gentile nations. And then as you read on, you'll discover that not only is there a resurrection, but there is a restoration of the nation Israel. God said, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. They have been regathered. Not only resurrected, they've been regathered, but also there is to be a reunion. And uh, God said, you will no longer be divided. There will no longer be Israel and Judah, but I'm going to I'm going to make you one in my hand. So there is going to be a reunion uh, among God's people. And then there's going to be regeneration. A regeneration is going to follow this. God said that he would uh, take out of them a heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, that he would sprinkle clean water on them and uh, regenerate them and cleanse them from all their filthiness and from all their idols. So this is prophetic, I'm sure, in its uh, primary interpretation. But I, I'm not going to speak on it from a prophetical standpoint, but just a few simple thoughts this afternoon. I want to make some spiritual applications out of this chapter. And the first thing I notice is that it, Ezekiel said, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And I believe the hand of the Lord refers to the Holy Spirit. Whatever you do, you do with your hand. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. When God does something in this world, he does it through and by the Holy Spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So Ezekiel said, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he carried me away in the spirit, and he sent me down in the valley. And Ezekiel began to walk around that valley, and he said the valley was full of, full of bones. Bones, fragmented skeletons everywhere. Everywhere he looked, all he saw was bones. Fragmented skeletons. It looks like, it looks like there's been an ancient battle here. Many have fallen. The flesh has long since rotted away. The whole valley is full of bones that have never been buried. It looks like a scene of defeat of disaster, of hopelessness and despair. Over here's, a, over here's a skeleton, over here's a skull lying in an old rusty helmet. And over here are five bony fingers clutching an old rusty sword. There's skulls, there's neck bones, there's shoulder bones, there's arm bones, finger bones. There's backbones. 
There's hip bones. There's thigh bones. There's leg bones. There's ankle bones. There's foot bones. There's toe bones. Bones everywhere, all over the valley. Uh, to me, it looks like a scene of absolute hopelessness. Defeat and despair all over the place. And God brings the preacher and sets him right down in the midst of it. And then God asks him a question. Son of man, can these bones ever live? Is there any hope for these? Can anything ever happen here? I've been in some places, but I'll declare, people, I don't believe I've ever been in a place just like this. No prophet has ever been asked a more pertinent question. Can they live? Can they ever be revived? Can they ever be resuscitated? Can they ever live again? What would you have said? I think the prophet did said the right thing. He said, ah, Lord God, thou knowest. <laughs> he didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He said, thou knowest. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I have learned never write anybody off, never say there's no hope, they've gone too far, they're too deep, and give them up. Because when we do that, I remember I, was, I pastored one church. There was a number of especially men that would come on Sunday morning. I was there five years. I never saw them in revival after revival, service after service. I never saw them shed one tear. I never saw them raise their hand for prayer. I never saw any expression, any response whatsoever toward God. When I left, I marked them off. I gave them up. I said, there's no hope. They're, 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 they're hopeless. They'll never, they'll never get saved. I was gone for some time. And while I was gone, went back to visit. And the pastor said, well, everybody that's been saved in the last five or six years, will you stand to your feet? And guess what? Just about every one of those men that I said are hopeless, they all stood at their feet. <laughs> and I learned right then, I said, as long as there's life and as long as there's breath, don't mark them off. Don't give up on them. Can they live? God knows whether they can or not. Well, he said, son of man, I want you to prophesy upon these bones. I want you to preach to them. <laughs> I'm telling you, he said, son of man, prophesy, and here's what I want you to say to them. Oh, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That's what we need to hear is the word of the Lord. And I want you to say to them, Behold, I'm going to put breath in you. And I'm going to put sinews upon you. And I'm going to put flesh upon you. And I'm going to cover you with skin. And I'll put my breath in you. And you shall live. And you shall know that I'm the Lord when I have done this. He had a message direct from heaven exactly what to say to him <laughs> and Ezekiel said I prophesied as I was commanded and guess what folks when the prophet started preaching to his audience he got a response 
two things happened. Number one, it said there was a noise. Now this is sort of a cemetery-like situation. Death is all around. Desolation, hopelessness, despair. And I'm telling you people, the hallelujahs and the amens and the glory to God had long since faded away and there was an eerie silence prevailed. But I want to tell you, when old Ezekiel started preaching what God told him to, the first thing happened, there was a noise. It doesn't say what the noise was, but one commentator said there was a rattling. <laughs> there was a noise, and it was a coming from these old bones. <laughs> Amen. That was a noise, and I, you know, I began to think about that. God was beginning to do something. God was beginning to move. God was beginning to work. And I discovered people, every time God moves and God works, there's always some kind of noise that will accompany him. <laughs> we can be pretty quiet and pretty staid and, and pretty, pretty what we call reverent. But I'm telling you people, when the Almighty comes on the scene, it does usually get kind of noisy. And I got to thinking in my mind, when God Almighty came down out there in the Sinai Desert, when God told Moses, look, I'm coming down in the morning, and I want you to sanctify yourselves. Don't, come, don't touch your wives. Wash your clothes. Be clean. Set bounds around the mountain. I'm going to come down in the morning. Yes, sir. I'm a coming down in the morning. Moses said we did what God told us to do and the next morning when we looked out of our tent doors it said old Mount Sinai was on fire. <laughs> there was clouds, there was smoke, there was darkness and there, there was the sound of a trumpet and the Bible said it, it blew louder and louder and Moses said that granite mountain began to shake and tremble and he said the sight was so fearful that I shook and trembled. God Almighty had come down and shook on Mount Sinai. <laughs> He'll still shake things, brother, when he comes down. <laughs> yes, sir. And then my mind went across the centuries been a long time since then. And over there in Bethlehem, it was one night, there was some beardy, ragged shepherds out in the Bethlehem fields keeping watch over the flock by night. Maybe just a few twinkling lights were left on in a few houses in old Bethlehem. Brother, it was a silent night, and it was a holy night. But sometime around midnight, I guess it was around midnight, in the stillness and the quietness of that holy, silent night, brother, things began to change. He said the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. But the angel said, Fear not. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host saying, Glory be to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Brother, it got kind of noisy when God the Son made his visitation to the earth. <laughs> Thirty-three years rumble by. 
The Savior was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. He was with the disciples 40 days after the resurrection. He bid them goodbye from the Mount of Olives and made his holy ascension back to the Father. Now he said, I want you to leave town. I want you to stay in the city. I want you to tarry. I want you to wait. Somebody's coming. <laughs> and so they went into an upper room, about 120, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And they, about 120, were waiting and praying and supplicating, praising God until Sunday morning rolled around and that was the day of Pentecost. And, and it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were together in one place. Now listen, suddenly there came a silence from heaven. I'm sorry, Mary, I misquoted that. There came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. I'm telling you people, it might have been quiet that Sunday morning, but when the third person of the Trinity came down, it kind of got noisy on Pentecost Sunday morning. And they all began to speak. And listen, it says, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and said, what's going on around here? Peter said, the Holy Ghost has come. And ever since he's come, wherever he goes and wherever he comes, he kind of stirs things up and things get kind of noisy when he comes on the scene. <laughs> you know, the Nazarenes used to be called the noisy rings. They did. And the people used to come and watch the saints shout and get blessed. They did. And I still believe it would attract people. But you know, there's more action on television than there is in the church world today. It's too bad it's, that's the way it is, but I don't believe it has to be that way. And he said there was a noise and I got to hurry. The second thing happened, it said there was a shaking. There was a shaking and a trembling going on. Well, who's doing the shaking? Them old bones. <laughs> I remember I did some shaking. God got a hold of me. I was a trembling and I was a shaking. And I've, I've seen people shake and tremble. I felt people's bodies jerk. You know what they all, I've seen young men, they were under it so their bodies would tremble and jerk and quiver. God had a hold of them. I'll tell you, these old bones got shook up. I, I was reading some time ago, some church members remind me of some bottles of medicine sitting on the shelf. And you pick that bottle up and you read the directions. And, and it says on there, shake well before using. For the vital ingredients have all settled to the bottom. Everything that's vital has just kind of set it out of the bottom. And before you can use it, you got to shake it good. And you know, people, we can be like that. I'm telling you, you can. You can just come to church, fold your hands, and sort of shut your eyes and just sit there. And the first thing you know, and never testify, never praise God, never get involved in this. And the first thing you know, everything vital about your salvation is going to settle down. And God may have to take some of us and turn us upside down and wrong side out and inside out and give us an old-fashioned Holy Ghost shaking before he can ever use us. There was a shaking. Wouldn't you like to see people shook again? The Quakers used to quake under the power of God. We know so little about it. 
I've seen so little. But I'm going to tell you, people, I saw enough. I heard enough. And I felt enough. And like one old fellow said, bless God, he said, I was born in the fire and I can't get used to all this smoke. You can be satisfied with smoke if you want to, but I've, I've tasted the fire and I can't be satisfied with anything else. Now, if you'll if you, if you study this chapter, first of all, he talks about the bones and then he talks about bodies and then he talks about the breath. And as I studied this some years ago, I began to look at those bones and it says three things about them. And I discovered that there were three things that characterized these bones. Would you like to know what those characteristics are? How many would like to know? Well, that's about one-fourth of you. The rest of you is going to hear it anyway. The first thing I notice about these bones, the scripture says they were very dry. I mean, if he'd have said they were dry, that'd have been bad enough, but he said they were very dry. You say, how come it says they'd been that way so long? It's going to bless you. This right here is going to bless you. Are you ready for a blessing? And I said, all right, Lord, they're dry, but what does dry mean anyway? I didn't know what dry meant. Do you know what dry means? So I got me an unabridged dictionary and I thought I'm going to find out so I'll know what I'm saying is truth and factual. And this is, this is not from a commentary, it's just out of a standard dictionary. And here's what it means to be dry. Number one, free from juice. <laughs> if I'm dry, I don't have a lick of juice in me. I'm juiceless. Who wants to suck on a dry orange or a dry tangerine? An old dog don't even want an old dried up bone, does he? He wants some marrow in it. Who wants to dry well, a well that's gone dry with no water? He just make garbage dumps out of them. I mean, hey, people, we, if we just sit around all dried up like an old dry bone, we don't have a bit of juice in our testimony, not a bit of juice in our singing, no juice in our preaching, no juice in our Sunday school teaching, friend. My God, help me. And it went on to say, it is free from juice or sap or water without tears. I said, my Lord, with, if I'm dry, I am without tears. I know some people are given to tears. I got an old buddy. He can turn them on anytime he wants to. He was before the IRS. And that old boy got so broke up in the IRS office. When he was being interrogated, he broke down and started crying and walking the floor. And that guy that was doing the job felt so sorry for him. He said, buddy, looks to me like you've got enough trouble. He said, I'm going to stick this so far under this stack. They'll never find it. He turned the tears on. I said, man, I wish I could do that. And I know another lady. I ain't calling her name. She had gone to a wedding and... and, and uh, when she come out, she took the wrong road and her husband had a revival schedule and she was trying to get home. And of course, she's all broke up being that wedding anyway. And she started down this, this, this county road and she was doing about 70 miles an hour and I think it was 50 mile speed limit. She was doing 70 miles an hour and she passed a cop. He, he got right in behind her and stopped her. And when this lady rolled her window down, she said, 
she turned to tears. He said, that's all right, ma'am. That's all right. Take it easy. That's all right now. He let her go. I ain't telling you who that was. You have no idea who that was. Some people are given to tears. But ladies and gentlemen, tears has its place. I don't like to go too long. It seemed like for the last three or four days, I said, God, there's something bottled up in me. And it wanted to get out, and it couldn't get out. It just, it was just, I felt like my heart was swollen, and I couldn't get it out. You ever feel that way? It's, it's, it's all something all bottled up in it. And I said, God, I've got to cry. I said, God, I've got to weep. I'm going to die if I can't get these tears out. <laughs> Amen. And tears have their place in preaching, teaching, singing. But they're without tears. Dry eyes. Thirsty. Craving drink. Free from rain or mist as dry weather unemotional, unfruitful, barren, dull, devoid of sympathy, formal, cold, sarcastic, sneering, stiff, hard, having little sugar. I said, my Lord, if I'm dry, I have little sugar. That means I'm not very sweet. Having little sweetness. How about your sweetness? Are you very sweet with your wife? <laughs> Are you very sweet with your husband? Are you sweet when you don't get your way? Are you sweet when things don't go like you think they ought to in the, in the church board meeting? Are you sweet with the kids? having a little sugar or sweetness. And then it said, dry wine. I said, no, wait a minute. Dry wine. Wine's fluid. Wine is liquid. And how in the world can wine be dry? And then I come to find out that means wine that has a low sugar content. Amen. Parched uninteresting, listen, to wither and stop talking. That's what it means to be dry. Stop talking. A lot of folk have stopped talking. I pastored three months. Our pastor resigned and, and moved on and it fell in my lap for about three months and I had the pastor again. I guess it was good for me. Certain people would sit there Wednesday after Wednesday after Wednesday after Wednesday call for testimonies. I said they stopped talking. That's an indication somebody's got dry. That's a good shouting point right there. Now, you want to hear the second one? <laughs> I told you you'd get blessed. Number two, I noticed not only they were dry bones, but they were dead bones. Son of man, can these bones live? 
The inference is, these bones are dead. Now, son of man, I want to know, do you think they can live? Well, I didn't know what dead meant. I thought I did, but I looked it up. You don't know what it said? No longer living. I said, I understand that. They're no longer living. Perfectly still. You ever seen anybody like that in church? Perfectly still. They're dead. Yes, sir. Motionless, barren, useless, lacking feeling or energy or warmth. Very tired. Exhausted. In electricity, no current going through it. It's a dead wire. I'm going to tell you, honey, if you ever touch a live wire, you're going to find out. I don't know what church it was. I was in a church basement one time of praying. And I, there, there, was, uh, there was some wires overhead and the ducts, you know, duct work and the, where the heat would go. And, and it was, a, it was a, a kind of an old church. And I, I had my hands up like this. And evidently, I touched one of them live wires. Woo! You know, Lord have mercy. What did I get a hold of? <laughs> Brother, I got a hold of something. The electricity was flowing through that thing, and it was alive. But you touch a dead wire, it won't do anything to you. Deceased, extinct, inanimate, and lifeless. You want to look at that last one? And not only were they dry bones and dead bones, but as I read on, I saw they were dismembered bones. Dismembered. And I, I thought, well, dismembered. Now, just what does that mean? So I looked it up in this same dictionary, and it says to tear from limb to limb, to cut or pull to pieces, to separate into parts. Torn from limb to limb, dismembered. <clears throat> Something had torn these skeletons all to pieces. All across the land, there has been a dismemberment. And I thought at one time the great holiness movement. You could go to the Nazarenes, the Wesleyan Methodists, the Free Methodists, the Pilgrim Holiness, any of them, you'd hear the same message, had the same standards. We believe the same thing. But then the last few years, we're torn asunder. I mean little local bodies. I know, I know, I know of one denomination that started not too long ago. I think they had seven churches. Guess what? They've had a split. Their general didn't remain single long enough after his wife died, and they said, uh, you owe us an apology, and he wouldn't apologize, said, I ain't done nothing wrong. So they split. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. Split over, split over how many eyes you can have in your shoes, or such foolishness as that, or parts of hair on your left side or your right side, just a bunch of foolishness. 
broken relationships all over the country. You know, you know the strategy. You know the strategy of the communists. You know, you know the you know the strategy that they used. They, their, their, their principle was this: divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. They would divide capital against labor. They would divide the blacks against the whites. And they knew that it would work. It would weaken and destroy a country. Divide and then conquer. Divide and conquer. And you know the devil uses that same principle. Divide your heart. Divide your home. Divide your church. Divide your conference. Divide your camp meeting. And that's all he has to do is just divide us. And every time he makes a division, we're that much weaker. We're that much weaker. We're that much weaker. Our homes are divided and split, torn all to pieces. Many thousands and millions of children now are being raised in one parent home. One of them's gone. Foster children by the millions. Divide and conquer. And friends, when the family goes, the church is gone. What happened? The preacher got to preach. And there was a noise and a shaking. I want you to notice what happened. You know what happened? You know what happened when he preached that crowd? That was so dismembered and torn and scattered all over the desert floor. You know what began to happen? Read it in there when you get home. Here's what it says. Bone came to his bone. Brother, it takes God to do that. Now that old ankle bone says, you know, I remember that old leg bone. I remember that fuss we had. Now I want to get, you know, I want to get involved in this, but he said, uh, I think I'm going to go around him and go up there to that knee bone. <laughs> uh-uh. No. It says bone came to his bone. You could hear him. And that old skeleton, that old skull, he's just sliding around there and he says, he said, I used to belong, I used to belong to a neck bone, where is he? And the neck bone said, I know I used to belong to the shoulder bone, where's my shoulder bone? Where is he? I want to get restored and I want restoration and I want fellowship and I want to get back where I used to be and have feet fellowship like we used to have. Brother, they came from everywhere, coming and coming and sliding across. And brother, they were just hooking up and hooking up and hooking up and hooking up and hooking all over the, all over the. You could just hear them popping and clicking. They were coming together. <laughs> and after a while, they were all back where they used to be. And then about that time, he said, son of man, I want you to look at this. Man, I'm telling you, muscles and sinews began to cover them skeletons. And brother, there came flesh upon those muscles. And then skin began to cover that flesh. They were all together, but the Bible said there was no breath in them. They weren't breathing. The Old Testament concept of revival meant to breathe. When folk ain't breathing, they're dead. But in the Old Testament, the concept was to, for revival meant to breathe. They had a heartbeat. They had a pulse rate. They, they were inhaling and exhaling while they were... That's what it meant, to breathe. And he said, son of man, I want you to prophesy to the wind. <laughs> I want you to prophesy to the wind, and I want you to say this. Come, O breath, 
from the four winds and breathe upon these who were slain that they may live. Did you ever prophesy to the wind? <laughs> now, there's three ways you can translate this word. You can translate it wind or breath or spirit. It's ruach in the Hebrew, pneuma in the Greek. He said, come on breath. Come on spirit. Come on wind and breathe into these folks that are dead that they may live. And the breath entered into them and they lived and they stood to their feet a mighty army. My Lord. Don't we sing that song like a mighty army moves the church of God? Brothers, we're treading where the saints have trod. We're not divided. All one body we one in faith and hope and doctrine, one in charity. Onward, Christian soldiers. Just think what would happen, folks, if God's army could get together one more time and march across this land with the cross of Jesus going home before. <laughs> Who is she that looketh forth as the morning? Terrible as, terrible as an army, having banners, clear as the sun, foul as the moon. One Sunday afternoon, I had a neighbor, a Southern, I guess he's a missionary Baptist preacher. He was my neighbor, lived right up a little hill from where we live. I saw him sitting out on his porch one Sunday afternoon after lunch, and I decided, well, I believe I'll go up and talk to the brother a little bit. We got to talking about church and revivals. He said, Brother Walker, do you see the steeple of that little church down there in the valley? I said, yes, sir. That's Blairsworth Baptist Church. He said, about 30 years ago, we were in revival services, revivals going on in our church. And he said, uh, this Sunday morning, the revival had come and gone and nothing had happened. But that Sunday morning, when the minister finished his message, we were standing for the invitation. And he said, I was standing beside a big tall fellow, the man that used to own your house. And he said, I was standing beside him. We're singing the invitation. Keep in mind, this is a, this is a missionary Baptist preacher telling me this. When he said, all of a sudden, Brother Walker, I heard this big man groan. And he said something like, oh. He said, I saw him. And he fell. And when I looked at him, he said, I can't explain it. He said, Brother Walker, from my knees to my feet, I went absolutely numb and I couldn't feel anything. And he said, I fell opposite to him in the floor. And he said, I could hear people falling to the floor all over that Baptist church. So everybody was on the floor. That wasn't in the tongues church, that was in the Baptist church. And he said, after about five minutes, feelings started coming back into my legs. And we all got up one by one. And every eye was toward the pulpit. And he said, when we looked toward the front of the church, we saw a woman coming from the left over here and another woman come from the right. Both of them were sobbing and weeping, crying. And they had their arms stretched out toward one another. 
they met right in front of the pulpit. They put their arms around each other and one of them said, you know, it was my fault. And the other said, no, honey, it was my fault. The other said, no, it wasn't. It was my fault. I'm to blame. The other said, no, I'm to blame. Will you forgive me? And will you forgive me? And will you forgive me? I'm so sorry. And they wept and they sobbed and they asked forgiveness and they got reconciled. I'll tell you what happened that morning, brother. Bone came to her bone. Revival had been held up in that church for years. This, this woman would sit over here and this one would sit over here. There was animosity between these two women and it held back revival. But God the Holy Ghost came that Sunday morning and got the bones back together. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I'll tell you, God Almighty took that scene of death and dryness and dismemberment and hopelessness and despair and turned that thing around and made that crowd of hopeless bones a mighty army. So ladies and gentlemen, if you've come to camp meeting, you feel in your heart like you're an old dry bone. You feel like you're an old dead bone and you feel like you've been dismembered from somebody. I got good news for you. God can put you together again. God can put life in us and put breath in us and put muscles on us and help us to stand to our feet. A mighty army. Soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Why God can do anything. Nobody's hopeless. Nobody's helpless. There's hope in God. If he wants to, he can take a worm and thrash a mountain. The Lord prepared a great storm of wind. The Lord prepared it. And the Lord prepared a great fish. And then it said, and the Lord prepared a worm. God can make a whale or he can take a worm and use it. God prepared a worm. Why somebody said, I don't believe that. I don't believe that whale swallowed Jonah. Well, if it had said Jonah swallowed a whale, I'd have believed it if God said it. <laughs> Amen. Do you? You say, I don't believe that. Well, you'll never see a, a whale swallow Jonah. Amen. Old Brother Beck was telling me, he said, you know, some years ago, I was an evangelist. I didn't have no money. My little old four-room house. We had a wife and four or five kids. And he said the thing was running down. The paint was all gone off of it. And he said, I was praying one day. And he said, God, this place is a disgrace on me. And I know it's a disgrace to you. And he said, I went and bought. He said, now, God, you remember how you stretched them loaves and them fishes? And so he said, I went and got me a gallon of paint. Now, he said, God, I want you to stretch this paint. <laughs> He said, I started painting that house. And he said, I painted the whole house and I had paint left over. You said, I don't believe that. He said, he'll never stretch your paint. Uh-huh. God can just find somebody to believe him and trust him. He can do anything. Nothing shall be impossible with God and all things are possible to him that believeth. So let's, let's exercise what little faith we got. It ain't how big your faith is, but it's got to be pure faith in a big God. It's not big faith, it's faith in a big God. Let's stand. If you believe that, turn around and shake hands with somebody and say, I believe God. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose.
Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. I don't want to lose the